Hello, I'm Curtis Bowers, and this is Agenda Weekly. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. I really appreciate it. Hope you had a nice Easter last Sunday or Resurrection Day. It's the most significant day in world history because it showed us once and for all, all mankind, that Jesus Christ had victory over death completely. Not only had he raised others from the dead, he raised himself from the dead, and that's pretty significant. This week we'll be talking about the New World Order, digital currency, why they want it to be programmable, and then we'll also be talking a little more about prepping for 2030. A lot of you had some questions and comments, and we'll get into that. If you didn't watch last week's, please do. It just talked about a lot of things to be thinking about as we approach the year 2030, which is a very significant year for the New World Order, for the globalist, for the World Economic Forum, for the people that want a one world government and they want you to be their slave. But anyway, thank you so much again for joining me. One news article I happen to see that kind of ties into the topic for today, but is so significant about the, just the green fantasy of everything, how they want us all to have electric vehicles and on and on. Here's a news piece talking about the UK. Of course, the United Kingdom is just a little island with not very many people on it. But here's the facts. According to experts on mineral production, to achieve the goal to make all vehicles in the UK, and we're just talking about the UK there, not the world, not America, to make all vehicles in the UK electric by 2050 using the most resource frugal next generation batteries. To, to do that, it will require the UK to annually import twice the total annual cobalt production worldwide. So the amount of cobalt which is needed for those batteries that's produced worldwide, they will need twice that amount just for the UK, okay, every year, and nearly all the neodymium produced globally and three quarters of the world's lithium. That's just the UK if they want to have by 2050 electric vehicles for everyone. This whole thing is a pipe dream. What's happening is they're stopping the production of gas-powered vehicles and saying, oh, we're going to electric, but the reality is they're not going to produce enough electric cars. So what does it mean? Only the select people will have vehicles at all, which is the goal. So there's not near enough minerals in the entire world to even take care of the UK. But then you think of America and Europe and Africa and Asia. It's, it's nonsense. And that goes along with the windmills and the solar panels. There's not enough minerals in the world. And even if you could get them, the pollution that would be created from all that mining would be more pollution than is created if we just stuck with the gas-powered cars that have gotten so clean the way they burn fuel and everything else. Again, it's it's... It's frustrating to see that because so many people believe the lies because they don't know the facts. I was reading some different articles this week and watching some different videos on digital currency, on programmable currency, and uh, the New World Order, and I'll talk about that in a second more detail, what that is, intends to implement a programmable currency that would give the central banks unimaginable power over the individual spending. And we'll watch a few video clips talking about that. But this is a step forward of control that's so far beyond anything that's ever been done before. 
in getting in just to a little background of the New World Order, that idea and where it came from and why they've been so adamant in working toward this generation after generation, I came across a good article by Lane Davis, and he explains, The mainstream media's role is to confuse and mislead the public. They do not want people to know that the New World Order really is. They hide its history and generally deny its existence. The mainstream media insists that when U.S. presidents talk about the New World Order, like President Biden did just a couple weeks ago, they're simply referring to changes in the behavioral norms, regulations, and laws that broadly shape international relations. Of course, they're not. And he goes on, contrary to the opinions of propagandists and debunkers, the New World Order is a defined globalist project. And the reason it's important to remember it and know about it is that's what's driving all of these different initiatives, whether it's the climate catastrophe, COVID response, uh, the war in Ukraine, and on and on. They're using all the events happening around us. Either they're creating them and using them, or they happen naturally and they're using them. But they use those to accomplish their goal, which they've outlined very, very clearly. The objective is to establish global governance. It was inaugurated more than 100 years ago, and it has undergone numerous changes over subsequent generations. While it wields immense political influence, it is not all-powerful. That's an important point for us all to know. That's why it does make a difference what we do. They want to act like they're all-powerful, but they are not. The New World Order is tyrannical and oppressive by nature, hence the need for subterfuge and concealment. Its architects cannot simply enforce their dictatorship and expect to get away with it. We would resist, and if we did so in sufficient numbers, there's not much the New World Order could do about it. That's a key point. So how do they keep us in line when they really don't have the power to do that? Well, (laughs) They do that by controlling education, society, culture, economics, party politics, finance, applied psychology, behavioral modification, censorship, propaganda, war, and crisis management are all used to maneuver us into accepting the New World Order's policy agendas. So again, they take all the things they can get control of, starting with education and media, and they push these ideas as as if... This is what is best for mankind. People that don't know about the New World Order don't understand how specific it is. Uh, The father, the modern day father of it is Cecil Rhodes, and we've talked about him before, but he is kind of the one that laid out the agenda. At his death in 1902, he had an immense fortune that he set aside. He said, this is for the point of implementing world government. And so he had a secret society. He had some public foundations like the Rhodes Scholarship Foundation to get the world's best and brightest into his vision of the world. Uh, But then he talked about it. In 1877, he wrote a manifesto called Confession of Faith, where he outlined, here's the vision for the new world order. So this is not something that is just made up or people, well, I think they're doing something. No, he laid it out. It came to him in a vision that he said it just came before his eyes and he just wrote it down. It was obviously a satanic vision, but it was to get together all the super rich and have them meet in secret groups to start planning out the direction 
to achieve world government. And, and they wanted the political, economic, and religious unification of the world. And here's Cecil Rhodes in his own words from Confession of Faith, so you understand how serious this is. And this is what's still going on today. The George Soros's, the Rockefeller Foundation, Bill Gates, all of them are implementing this. But listen, this is 150 years ago. I contend that we are the finest race in the world and that the more the world we inhabit, the better it is for the human race. Just fancy those parts that are at present inhabited by the most despicable specimens of human beings. He's talking about Africa and Australia and different places. I mean, just think Gates. He has gone with his vaccines and tested them on the children of Africa and India. He felt just like Cecil Rhodes did. That they're despicable human beings. These people that aren't anything like us. We are the superior race. Why should we not form a secret society with but one objective, the furtherance of the British Empire and the bringing of the whole uncivilized world under British rule and for the recovery of the United States and for making the Anglo-Saxon race but one empire, one world? He said, to forward such a scheme, what a splendid help a secret society would be, a society not openly acknowledged but who would work in secret for such an objective. That's why they have all those secret groups, because they know they can't do this right out in the open, as Rockefeller and everybody else mentioned. So then in 1891, Cecil Rhodes got together with Lord Nathan Rothschilds of England, and they joined forces, and they set out a plan to put this in motion. So since 1891, the super rich of the world have been working for this objective, using everything that goes on in the world, everything that goes on in individual countries, and any scheme they can come up with to work toward getting more control of us, <laughs> more control of the financial system, the political system, and the religious system. Those three areas he said we have to have control of, over. And so that's what he did. And, and right here, I want to stop and, and explain to you how it doesn't matter. When Cecil Rhodes died, it didn't hurt the plan at all. When Lord Rothschilds died, it didn't hurt the plan at all. A lot of people go, Who, who's the puppet master? Is it George Soros? Is it whoever? And, and it's easy for us to think there's got to be someone behind this because it is so coordinated, so organized. It just makes sense that there is. Well, I want to tell you there is. And I want to read you a little bit about who it is. This is the being that is pulling the strings of George Soros, the Rockefeller family, the Rothschilds, the CFR, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Group, and on and on it goes. It talks about him in John 8, 44 of the Bible. Listen to this. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. That's why they always are pushing lies and schemes. That's why it's always propaganda. And then listen to this. When he speaketh, that's their leader, and that's them. When he speaketh a lie which they all do, and he does, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. This is key right here. 
so you understand, like when George Soros dies here soon, he's an old man. He's going to go stand before his creator. But this plan's not going to be hurt at all. And here's why. In the Bible, there's a story when Jesus had been out fasting in the desert for 40 days and Satan came to tempt him. And here's what he said, and it's so important. As I was reading this just a couple weeks ago, I thought, wait a minute. This is still going on today. And listen to this. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him, Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee. So Satan's telling Jesus, I will give you the power over all these kingdoms. And Jesus doesn't say anything like, you don't have power over these kingdoms. But, but listen, and the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. So Satan is saying right there, and we see right there, he is the God of this world, as the Bible tells us, but he's offering to Jesus all the kingdoms of this world, the wealth, the fame, if you'll worship me. And Jesus doesn't say, you don't have that power, or that's nonsense. He just says, I'm not interested because I'm the creator of all. Satan has been given the power in this world. And so as I read that, I realized he said, I'll give it to whomsoever I will give it. All those people, the Karl Marxes, the, these people, these super rich, the Bill Gates, they've been given that power by Satan because he knew they would use it for evil to accomplish his purposes, to push forward his agenda. He wants a one world government because he wants to be the Antichrist that sits on the throne to rule the world. He knows the Bible too, but he's working toward it. So Satan has given them the wealth and the fame and the influence because they chose to worship him. And that's why the things they do are so evil and so anti-human. It was just interesting to me. That's why this is so unified and coordinated people in different countries and different places all working toward the same agenda that don't even know each other well that's why because they all have the same master and he is the father of lies that's why everything they push to it's always a lie it's never the truth it's always deceit and that but that is why that's important for us to understand so it's not like oh we got to beat george soros no we have to educate others. We have to share the gospel. And that's what defeats this plan. When we wake people up to the evil that is there and how the, the whole agenda is anti-human. He's using these people. He, he is, he's using everything to destroy mankind for death and destruction because that's what he's all about. He loves death and destruction. But that's an important point to realize when you're talking about this plan. Watch this clip real quickly from Tucker Carlson because it shows the purposefulness behind the destruction of the middle class, which is a key part of this plan. And, and one of the reasons, again, we need to try to get back to the simple life, get back to being as self-sufficient as possible because they don't want us to have enough money to survive. They want us to be dependent on them. 
Highest inflation in 40 years. Those are the official numbers, which of course bear no resemblance to the day-to-day -day reality. Everything is much more expensive, and that's especially true of the big things. The big things are the most expensive of all. And why is that? Simple. The declining power of U.S. currency has created an unprecedented asset bubble. That means investors around the world are rushing to convert increasingly worthless U.S. dollars into objects that might hold value over time. So anything tangible costs a lot more, a lot more than it did a year ago. And there's no mystery in this. This is exactly what happens when you pump too much money into an economy. The money becomes worth less. At the same time that prices are rising, so are taxes. Property taxes are rising in many places in tandem with the real estate bubble. So even if you didn't buy a new house, you will suffer because of that. State income taxes have risen dramatically in places like New York. So they're getting it from both ends, and that means that some people, maybe a lot of people, will start to go broke. And as they do go broke, they'll be forced to curtail what they buy. In an economy driven largely by consumer spending, this is a very scary trend. When people stop buying things, the crash comes. So you can see very clearly where this is going. Everyone in Washington understands exactly where it's going. But instead of taking real steps to fix it, like stop writing these massive spending bills, they're taking everything they can, all the money still on the table, while there still is money. Janet Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury, declared last week, for example, that, quote, we must redouble our efforts to decarbonize our economy. So what does that mean exactly? How do you decarbonize an economy? Well, by spending trillions of new stimulus spending on renewable energy schemes that, by the way, are owned by the Chinese government and Democratic donors. See how that works? You pass the cash around while it still exists. Another name for this is looting. It cannot go on forever by definition. Because if the economy tanks, everything resets. Not just the economic questions. There could be genuine social and political volatility. Our current conversation can only happen in a country that still believes itself to be rich. But once the country doesn't think it's rich, everything changes. And they see that coming, that everything is going to change. They would love there to be a race war, a revolution, so much discontent and hostility, things get chaotic and out of control. And so that's something they all see happening, we see happening. The dollar they know is going to collapse completely. That's why they're planning the new digital currency right now. And, and this is an important piece of the puzzle. Just watch this short clip talking about the digital currency and the significance of it because it's again it's changing the way the world has always been where normally you had things of value to change with other people to exchange with other people for things of value <laughs> your money was gold or silver and you would trade that for whatever th that you needed and vice versa but the fiat money we've been using that has no value whatsoever, we've just pretended it has, is coming to an end because they keep pumping the system filled with empty, meaningless dollars. So anyway, watch this clip. This is what happened in 2008. And our, our problem with credit default swaps is bigger than it was in 2008. I don't know if that's the piece or if it's gonna be a collection of pieces but we are going to go to a different currency. And each of us have to decide now. You have to decide now. Am I going to be a part of that 
currency because that currency is programmable. Read it for yourself. Go to the Fed or go to the Treasury. It's programmable, which means it will follow you. They can cancel it any time. They can say it doesn't work at these stores, et cetera, et cetera. And they're doing that because of modern monetary theory, which I explain in my book, The Great Reset. The second half of modern monetary theory is programmable money. It doesn't work without programmable money. But that means they can treat you like the Canadian trucker and completely cut you off. This is not the mark of the beast. It is not. But it is the technology that would allow that to happen, where you can't buy, sell, or trade unless you kneel. Well, that's what's coming. We may not be kneeling to the beast, but you will kneel. Your question that you have to answer is, are you willing to kneel or not? And if not, what does that mean to your life? And how do you survive if you, your cash doesn't work anywhere? Again, we're entering a, a different world. And that's why I had the episode last week, Preparing for 2030. And we'll get into some of your questions and comments about that in just a minute. But thing after thing tells us we need to try to just separate ourselves out from the system as much as possible. Wherever we are, try to work toward that because it's getting where they will easily have total control of anyone. So your only option is to kneel, like he said, kneel to them. And then you just, you realize, oh, I can't talk about Christian things. I can't talk about anything against the government. I just need to just be quiet and, and do what they tell me to do. You either have to submit and kill yourself like that, who you are <laughs> as a person, or if you stand up with courage for what is right and speak truth, you know, you're going to pay the price. And that's why if you can be where, okay, I don't need their money. I can try to survive on my own the best I can or whatever. It's just, it's helpful. Here's another quick clip from Jan Markell and someone she was interviewing talking about what the programmable means and how the programmable currency works. It's not just digital currency. It's programmable. What does that mean? When you read the executive order from Biden, he's giving the Treasury Department, Office of Attorney General, and the Federal Reserve 210 days to get this back to him. Mark's exactly right. I've even heard people estimate six to seven months before this is enacted. Really? Yeah, it's going to happen quick. I have heard you say, Brandon Holthouse, in one of your updates, quote, if you don't play ball with their values, you will not be able to buy or sell. So just what will be their values? The values that they're using, we have heard this term before. It's ESG yes. and it's mm -hmm. D-I-E. ESG means you've got to go green. You've got to want to save the planet. That's the environmental score. Your social score is your social justice score. What is your views on LGBT, transgender, yeah. Governance is for, do you have people on your staff, LGBT, trans? And then the die score is diversity, inclusion, and equity. That is going to go into how social credit scores ran, like in China, to where they will limit you or allow you, based on these scores, to buy and sell. They can restrict what you can buy. They can actually reward you. 
for having a good ESG score or a die score. They will control how you sell, how you buy, based on how you comply with their values. I'm playing another clip here, and this comes out of the UK, but it's talking about the Western world heading into this, and they're going to emphasize the programmable aspect of all of this. And folks, this is what I think is the take-home, is eventually you can only spend money on goods that the government deems proper and essential. So the UK is currently the head of the G7 group. That's the world's most economically advanced countries. And the UK currently chairs the G7 group. Our chancellor, who does our economy, called Chancellor of the Exchequer, his name's Rishi Sunak. He put out this video saying that um, what they want to do is bring in this uh, thing called the central banking digital currency. They want to replace fiat paper money with digital money as a competitor to Bitcoin and crypto money, right? But instead of being uh, decentralized currency, it will be controlled by a government. It's digital currency, but controlled centrally through the banks, Bank of England. So instead of having a bank account with whatever, HSBC or Bank of America, you'll have a bank account directly with, in the American context, with the Fed. In the UK, directly with the Bank of England. You have a personal bank account and you're given digital money in that bank account. These are called central banking digital currencies. The Chancellor of the Exchequer in the UK has already announced their intention to do this as the G7 group. And these, uh, if you look up... Um, this sounds terrifying. If you look up uh, the Telegraph newspaper. Central bank digital courtesy, uh, currency, is that the one down the below? Digital currency should be programmable. See that one there? Yeah. Now what yeah. they're doing is they're saying, you know, everyone knows that with inflation at over 5%, it's now 5.4%, right? Uh, our fiat money, the paper money is increasingly becoming worthless and we're headed towards a big disaster. They, the Fed wants to raise interest rates. But we're in so much debt that if you raise interest rates, people are going to suffer because everyone that you know we're living on debt as western economies so they realize that this kind of the lifespan of paper money is fast coming to an end because of the 2008 economic crash in particular so they're bringing in these central banking digital currencies why is that word programmable in there so what they said in that article and the, and the chance to put a video out saying this as well they've said that this money that you will earn from work instead of having paper money you have this digital money it's programmable so that you can't buy certain foods or if you do something that your employer doesn't like it's all in that article you won't be able to spend your money in other words it's not money they're vouchers they're like food vouchers and they can be programmed so that like the chinese social credit system that if you try and use them on a certain thing it won't work you say you want to buy a burger and they want you to buy bugs which is one of the examples used if you start to try and buy unhealthy meat it just won't work you tap you tap your card you can't buy the thing because you've met your quota that month of burgers. You have to buy something like a, a vegan meal. So yeah? it won't just be money in the sense of the way we have dollars or pounds today. Yeah. It'll be something that's controlled in terms of your ability to distribute it. Which is why I'm calling it a voucher. It's a coupon. But even a coupon, if you have a coupon to buy bread, yeah. you can still buy the bread. Yeah. Like, there's but no... you can't buy, see that coupon to buy bread, what you can't do is buy a burger with that coupon, it's for bread. Right, Yeah. right. Do you feel like you're sounding the alarm yes. for people that don't understand what is going on? So here, I'll put it up for you here, yeah? So there's the video. The group of the world's seven most advanced economies, the G7, is launching a set of public policy principles for retail central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. Central bank digital currencies could be a digital version of money, a bit like a digital banknote. Right, so that's the guy who runs our economy in the UK. His name's the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And here is the article. 
Bank of England tells ministers to intervene on digital currency programming. Yeah, And here's a quote from the article. Digital cash could be programmed to ensure it is only spent on essentials or goods which an employer or government deems to be sensible. Did you hear those clips? What your employer or government deem as essential or sensible. <laughs> I mean, that that's the world we're entering, and it's soon. It's not 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Biden said by the end of this year, he wants a digital currency in America. So that's what they're working toward. I tell you all these things because, again, big, real change is coming <laughs> in every area. And now is the time to think about and decide on and to act in whatever ways you can. And again, if there's nothing you can do, then there's nothing you can do. But our civilization is collapsing in so many different ways. And now a government is realizing the currency is going to collapse. So they're going to transition to digital where they have total control over it then. See, once they have control of the money and they can program it, then if one big business is not doing well, your currency is only good there. So they can make that one. They can just total control purchasing. They can total control. You wouldn't be able to stock up on anything, of course, because they'll go, no, you're getting more than you need. And so it just allows the 1984 thing to, to step to a different level than we've ever thought of possible before. But but that's why I want you to think seriously about where you are, what you're doing. Is there a way to simplify your life and become more independent or not? The, the old saying, better seven years early than seven minutes late from World War II is what I'm talking about. Back in World War II, a lot of the Jewish people started to leave Germany. And a lot of people there said, why would you leave your family and your churches and your businesses? What are you doing? And they said, we don't feel comfortable about what's going on. We've, we sense something bad is going on. So maybe they left Germany seven years early, but it was a lot better than leaving seven minutes late when you couldn't leave anymore. And you finally realized those cattle cars are filled with people and they're going to, to some ovens it was too late then. So that's this is just a word to the wise. And you can only do what you can do. Don't feel overwhelmed if you can't move out in the middle of nowhere and have your underground bunkers and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just sensibly thinking about doing what you can do. For instance, those of you that are 75 years of age and older, I encourage you, don't worry about these things. Just prepare how you can but, but don't be fretful of this. God's in control. He always is. I'm talking more to younger families that have the choice of, oh, yeah, we could move out a little further out of town and be a little more self-sufficient, plant a bigger garden, get some chickens, just do basic things so we're learning skills that might really come in handy someday if they're cutting off our score, but we're producing our own food. Then we're like, okay, we don't need them to give us permission to buy food. Also, when I'm talking about moving out to the country, it doesn't mean five hours from the nearest city. It might just be 30 minutes outside of town. When we lived in Idaho, we moved about 30 plus minutes out of town for many reasons. And there's some huge advantages. One of them was 
then when we got invited to all these different things we really didn't have time to go to, it was an easy excuse. Oh, we're, we're out a little too far. We're probably not going to be able to make that. It gave us a lot more control of our schedule, which was wonderful. When you have a bunch of kids and there's a thousand things going on, we didn't want to be running in circles our whole life. So it gave us a good excuse of, oh, we probably won't be able to make it in for that when we needed it. Also, the homes cost less further out you get. So it's cheaper. It's not more expensive. We found that this is 20 years ago in Idaho in neighborhoods in a nice neighborhood, just an empty lot, a one acre lot was $90,000 20 years ago in Idaho. And I thought, boy, that's a lot of money just for a lot. Doesn't even have a house on it. So I started looking. Well, I found about 30 minutes out of town 20 acres, beautiful, overlooking the Snake River, and it was $90,000 for 20 acres. And I thought, that makes a lot more sense so we can have animals and, and fruit trees and, and my kids can grow up where they can shoot their guns and dig holes and have forts and not worry about the neighbors and everything. And I'm so glad that we did that. But so a lot of times you're not having to quit your job and what I'm talking about or anything. Some of you said, well, I can't quit my job. I'm not asking anyone to quit their job. I'm talking maybe to think strategically. Can, if we live in a city, can we get a little further out? It will probably even be cheaper. Like I said, you'll have a little longer drive, but you'll have a lot of other advantages that might come in handy. For those of you, some of you that simply can't move out, you just... Whatever, for whatever reason, then you need to get to know someone that does live out. Get to know a family or somebody that lives out in the country and build up a friendship with them and ask them, could I come out there if something really bad came unraveled in the city? And they were like, sure, that'd be no problem at all. Maybe out you could store out there some supplies or a tent or have a little shed or something with your stuff in it. So you wouldn't be a burden to them, but you would have a place to go for very inexpensively. And you could be there, just plan B in case something happens. Another great idea is to get an RV trailer. You can get a decent RV trailer for $10,000. Maybe you could save up and get that and you could keep that in storage outside of your town with some stuff in it where things got bad in the city that you live in. You could go pick up that trailer in storage and you would be out in a way. A lot of people don't realize that my family and I have traveled so much because of our movies all over the place and stayed at a lot of different RV campgrounds and things. But most of them, to stay there for a month, it cost about $400. It's really an inexpensive life. 400 bucks, that includes your, your Wi-Fi, trash, electric, water, sewer, everything. And so, again, that might be an option. But anyway, RV, campers, trailers, whatever, they are a great option for helping you be flexible when you really have to be where you are. You can't move from where you are, but you, you could escape where you are if you needed to or if things were out of control if you're living in a big city and don't have any options at all. But living 30 to 45 minutes out of almost any big city in America gets you totally into the rural countryside and allows you to live a simpler life, a more self-sufficient life. You have a little bit longer drive, but the cost of living is less, everything is less. So it's not as much as you think. I found a piece of property when we were living more in a city, but I thought, oh, we need a place to go to. 
in Tennessee just a few years ago, six acres for $10,000. And so we had that. We go, hey, we just take our RV there, park it, and we've got power and water and everything. And we're out in the middle of nowhere, beautiful Tennessee. So there's, there's lots of options. It's not out in the middle of Wyoming or nothing at all. It, there's lots of different things. And I just, again, I brought these things up for you to consider because a lot is going on right now. I also want you to think about if you work for someone else, you know, whatever skills you have that they're hiring you to do, is it something you could do for yourself and start your own business? Like that last video said, they're setting things up where employers, big business, and government will be deciding how much money you get, where you can spend it, how you can spend it, what you can spend it on. They're setting up these parameters so if you can break away from big business, break away from big government as much as possible, and, and live that simpler life, I think you'll be glad that you did because we're just living in a, in a different world today. The reason I was encouraging those of you that are able to get out to rural America now is because private property has got to go. They are going to want to put controls on that as soon as possible. And it might be your only chance to get some property now. So you have that option of being more self-sufficient and being removed a little bit. Again, 30 minutes out of town or wherever, you're just out a little bit. Just the years we were in Idaho, the, the property rights evaporated over the time. We, even in Idaho, when we first moved out to the country on that 20 acres, you could do anything you wanted with your property. By the time we left Idaho, there were so many regulations, there's hardly anything you could do with your own private property out in rural Idaho. So again, I just, I, I, I think it's an important time. They want us all to be renters. And knowing that that's their plan, that's their goal, you'll own nothing and be happy. It's like, okay, if I can get out there now, get a couple acres out there now, and it's not as expensive as you think in a lot of parts of the country, um, it'll just be something wise to do so you have part of that ground to be able to use for your family. I think another thing that plays into the security of your family in a way is that when you're out there living green, we're trying to make our life as green as possible, but in a real sense, of course, it's harder for them to come against that because all their propaganda says you need to live green and have an organic garden and, you know, and eat healthy and have solar panels and do some of these things. But if you're trying to do some of those things out of a wise decision just to be more self-sufficient, it's an issue that both the left and right agree on. And so it's going to be hard for them to stop the guy that's raising organic chickens and has an organic farm. And some of the stuff we talked about last week with those gardens I showed you and stuff. It'll be harder for them to say, no, you can't do this when they see your green Garden of Eden. And it's what they told you. This is natural and healthy. Anyway, I think there'll be great unity on that because there'll be people out there that are totally liberal next to you doing the same thing. And you're maybe totally conservative doing the same thing. And so it'll be hard for them to crack down as much as they would like to because there'll be such unity on, you have no right to tell us what we can do when we want to raise natural food and, and things like that. But anyway, I thought it's another strategy that's wise 
and looking like uh, you're, you're living the world they said was the right way to live, but you're wanting to do that because it's natural. It's the way God intended things to be. One other key item I didn't mention last week that's important to think about is having a smart pack. And we've got a list below here in Agenda Weekly of, of some items in that, so I won't go through all the details, but what a smart pack is is a little backpack you have it has, you know, food and some protection in there and ability to start a fire, maybe a coat, some water, some different things, necessities, and there's a list below that you can just take with you wherever you go, in your car, you, just, just wherever you travel, in case something happened when you were away from home, where all of a sudden you got a backpack you can put on and there's you know, food for three days in there. There's different things that would help you be able to sustain yourself until you could make it home. Maybe a walkie-talkie, you know, a map, some different things. But we'll have a list below on that. But that's something I didn't mention. But it's a smart thing to do because you just never know what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. You're not always going to be home when something happens. But if you had the ability to survive a while until you were able to get home, that's a great thing to do. Gary wrote us about last week and said, we all need to prepare in many areas, spiritually, financially, survival, etc., for the coming turmoil. It is my conviction from listening to trusted, well-positioned individuals that much more turmoil is coming sooner rather than later, like the 2030 from the One Worlders. And I agree with him. We need to be prepared in so many areas. Spiritually is another area we didn't deal with last week, but praying, fasting, reading your Bible, reading biographies of great Christians and people that have suffered and endured things um, in history, having a small Bible study group in your home where you've got a group of people that you can worship the Lord together and study uh, Bible and, and just strengthen yourselves in your faith and dependence on God, praying for wisdom. God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? Do you want us to move here? Do you want us to stay here? Wherever it might be. But it's important because, again, there's so many uncertainties. We can't prepare for everything. And I'm not acting like, oh, if you do all this stuff, then you'll be safe. You'll be safe because you're in the hands of God. But he has told us in Proverbs over and over again, that a wise man prepares. Like our verse last week, he understands what's going on. He's looking uh, at the world around him and being ready for whatever may come. Our verse this week is Proverbs 14, 15. And it says this, The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. The simple believeth every word. There's so many simple around us. We need to reach them, influence them, educate them, because they just believe everything they're told. Oh, the digital programmable currency is going to be wonderful. Oh, really? Oh, great. <laughs> well, we can educate them on some of these things, the truth of what it's going to be, so they will stand against it also. But the prudent man looketh well to his going. That's all I'm trying to encourage you to do. And God knows what's best for you. I don't. I'm just giving you some ideas and things to think about. And then I want you to simply trust and obey. And I appreciate you being there. Thanks for all you do. And we're going to be starting on the Great Christian Reset in the next couple of weeks. But until next week, God bless you.